Section 8 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2022. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombaugh. Speculative Insurance, Part 3. The Pennsylvania Graveyard Epidemic, Continued. After a lengthened disappearance from public view, those who thought that the infamous scheme had disappeared forever were surprised to learn that there was an outbreak of the infection in North Carolina which dated back several years. From the report of the preliminary trial of the Tar Heel conspirators at Beaufort, it appears that the prisoners had conducted their graveyard operations successfully, year after year, without intervention of local magistrates or county courts. The defendants in the case were thirteen in number, of whom seven were white men and six were Negroes. When the swindlers commenced their fraudulent operations, the conditions for successful adventure were favorable, but, as often happens, success encouraged them to widen the range of development and thus to spread the net for their eventual capture and arraignment. The companies chiefly interested were such assessment associations as the Mutual Reserve Fund, the National of Hartford, the Massachusetts Benefit, the Fort Wayne of Indiana, and the Old Peoples of Elkhart. It appears that attempts were also made to defraud the Life Insurance Clearing Company of St. Paul, and, at one time, even the Michigan Mutual Life. The ringleader was a desperado named C. R. Hassel, who acted as an agent for some of the cooperatives named, and in that capacity was enabled to facilitate the devilish work of the gang. When individual cases, one after another, were brought to light, and newspaper accounts of them were published, it looked as if some very respectable people were involved in the infamous transactions. It turned out, however, that they were a low pack, as vile and vulgar as they were villainous, as despicable and debased as they were murderous. Hassel, who had been a horse trader, was, it was said, a man of such smooth presence, self-control, aptitude of speech and argument, as to deceive the very elect. What his associates lacked in his intellectual gifts was made up in craft and cunning. The cases reported were so numerous, so varied in character, and so ingenious in plot and execution, that if they were detailed at length, they would furnish material for the most interesting chapter in the history of graveyard insurance. It seems incredible that such a multitude of paupers could be insured for large sums, that so many negroes could be passed off as whites, that intelligent invalids and cripples could be insured and used for speculative purposes without knowledge or suspicion, and that the plainest requirements of insurable interest could be so long disregarded and defied. The discovery of these frauds was made in October 1894. Colonel John W. Hinsdale, a leading attorney of Raleigh, was employed by the companies to conduct the prosecution. 
he engaged a corps of detectives to unearth the roguery of the gamblers. They, in turn, enlisted on their side the machinery of intimidation and malediction. One of their counsel was editor of a newspaper, and its columns were filled with coarse abuse of Colonel Hinsdale. Undeterred by the difficulties and obstacles which were constantly thrown in his pathway, the self-reliant attorney pressed on until success finally crowned his efforts. In August 1895, the conspirators were bound over to court after a preliminary examination by a magistrate. At the October term of the Carteret County Court, eleven bills were found against twelve of the conspirators, and no one bill including them all. Two of the cases came to trial, but although the evidence was clear and convincing, the jury brought in a verdict of acquittal. Thereupon the judge, who remarked that he was not responsible for such a miscarriage of justice, removed the other cases to the Trenton Court, in Jones County, away from local influences and prejudices, and the governor of North Carolina called a special term of the court for the trials. These lasted nine days, and all of the defendants were convicted, except those who pleaded guilty and those who were not prosecuted in order that they might testify for the state. Among those convicted were the defendants who had been acquitted on the charges tried in the Carteret County Court. Aside from C. R. Hassel, the chief operators were Levi T. No, Selden D. Delamar, and J. C. Delamar. They started an insurance agency at Beaufort about 18 months before the trial, and employed solicitors to look up very old or very sick people upon whose brief tenure the speculators might rely for speedy maturing of their ventures. The cat's paws were taken from the ignorant classes, who were easily duped by the sharpers. Dr. T. B. Delamar, the medical examiner, being a member of the gang, recommended the lame, the halt, and the blind for acceptance as first-class risks. No matter how hopeless and beyond remedy, all cases were passed as desirable cases for insurance, without the slightest suggestion of disease or injury. By way of illustration of the character of the testimony for the state that was offered on the witness stand, we copy the following statements of Mr. J. C. Davis, a citizen of Beaufort and former Register of Deeds for Carteret County. I know Shepard Davis. He was raised on Davis Shore, but lives in Beaufort now and has lived there since the war. I think he is in the neighborhood of 80 years old. The application for $4,000 insurance states that he is 56 years old. I am acquainted with Perry Chadwick. He was the son of a Negro in our family. I was told that he had been in the penitentiary. The last time I saw him in Beaufort was perhaps a year and a half ago. He was in a very low state of health. His appearance as to health was very thin. He was a beggar. He was very weak. That is the whole of it. I heard him cough. He was a sickly-looking object. I thought he had consumption. I know Melissa Guthrie. Saw her here Saturday. She is in a very low state of health. I have looked upon her as a sickly girl all her life. I have known Samuel Windsor ever since I was a boy. He is in my best judgment seventy-five or eighty years old. 
I have known Mrs. Sarah M. Gabriel all her life. I have not seen her in two and a half years. She was at that time suffering with rheumatism. I think she had long been suffering with that trouble. I called to see her and she came in her parlour. I looked upon her then as a woman in bad health. She did not tell me she had rheumatism. She is living yet. I know Maria Hamilton. In my judgment she is in the neighbourhood of sixty-five or seventy years. I have known William Rice ever since he has been in Beaufort. In 1894, time of application for insurance in Massachusetts Benefit Company, he was a drinking man, drank excessively. He was very dissipated. I do not know of my own knowledge that he used any other stimulant than whiskey. He had been a dissipated man for a number of years. He was not able to work. He is a white man. His dissipation ran back four or five years. The application for insurance stated that Rice had used liquors freely five years before, but not since that time, and that he did not use narcotics. Dr. Delamar stated in his medical examination that he considers the risk in every way a first-class one. The agents stated that he did not use liquors, though he had used them freely some years ago, that he was in every way a proper subject for insurance, and they therefore unqualifiedly recommended the risk. Dennis Jones corroborated the testimony as to the age and condition of the health of Shepard Davis, Perry Chadwick, Samuel Windsor, Maria Hamilton, William Rice, Alfred Piggott, whose lives were insured in amounts varying from $2,000 to $6,000. The cases upon which convictions were obtained were Jacob C. Delamar and Selden D. Delamar, forgery. Levi T. No and William Fisher, forgery. Selden D. Delamar, forgery. C. R. Hassel and T. B. Delamar, false pretense. C. R. Hassel, Albert Wickfall, Silas Blount, and David Parker, false pretense. C. R. Hassel and S. W. Perkins, conspiracy. C. R. Hassel, David Parker, Silas Blount, Albert Wickfall, and T. B. Delamar, conspiracy. W. H. Turner, Stephen B. Turner, Levi T. No, Selden D. Delamar, and T. B. Delamar, conspiracy. In pronouncing judgment upon the conspirators, Judge Graham said, If the evidence in these cases be true, the most stupendous crime ever committed in North Carolina has been unearthed. I suppose there is nobody that had any conception of the degree to which this rascality had gone. I can see how people could be drawn into this nefarious business of procuring or buying these policies upon these dying people, and people who are likely to die, but few could be innocent. In order to procure these policies, forgery, false pretenses and conspiracy were all committed. In the criminal annals of our whole country, a more gigantic conspiracy than this. Here we have the greatest crimes known except rape, murder, arson and burglary. It seems to have been going on for years, and it has drawn in a great many unsuspecting people, and these, in order to make money, either by the commissions or out of the policies, have committed these crimes. 
There has been enough forgery proven against Dr. T.B. Delamar to send him to the penitentiary for 150 years, if all the cases for forgery were prosecuted against him and the extreme punishment inflicted on him in each case. I regret circumstances are such that these men have not all been convicted of crimes for which I could impose punishment adequate to the offences proven, many cases of forgery and false pretense being proven, though not charged. But the crime of conspiracy is a misdemeanor and punishable only by imprisonment in jail and by a fine. The crimes of false pretenses and forgery are both felonies and can be punished by imprisonment in the penitentiary, and though I regret the same punishment cannot be meted out to all the defendants alike in these cases, still, when this conspiracy is proven, when false pretenses are proven, when forgery is proven to have been committed, then I must discharge my duty in each one of the cases under the law of North Carolina as I find it laid down in our statute books. It has been proven that these men, Levi T. No, J. C. Delamar and Selden D. Delamar, were agents doing this fraudulent business, that Dr. T. B. Delamar was their medical examiner, that David Parker and William Fisher were their henchmen, and went out and got the names of those people who were in the last stages of disease, as Parker said, would die soon, in order, as one of the witnesses said, they might make a little quick money. In the case of C. R. Hassel, if the evidence is to be believed, he is the arch-conspirator of the whole lot. He seems to have been engaged in this business for years, and his success for a time seems to have induced others to go into it. Then No took it up, and after pursuing it for a year, he takes the Delamars in with him. They are all induced by the success with which he has met to engage in his distributable business. Then Bill Fisher comes in and forged the name of Florence Chadwick and others, and David Parker also appears as an agent and one of the conspirators. Their particular conspiracy was to defraud in probably 25 cases by the use of the names of a large number of people who were in the last stages of disease many of whom were produced before the jury by the state. As much as I sympathize with the families of these defendants in the misfortunes that have overtaken them, as much as I regret the disgrace that will have to attach to them the balance of their days, and as hard as it is for me to pronounce sentences in cases of this kind, for this is the hardest part of a judge's life, I am bound to do my duty. The judgment of the court is that C. R. Hassel be confined in the state penitentiary at hard labor seven years, that Bill Fisher be confined in the penitentiary at hard labor five years, that Selden D. Delamar, T. B. Delamar, J. C. Delamar, and Levi T. No be confined in the common jail of Craven County for a term of two years and pay a fine of $300 each that being the limit of imprisonment allowed by law. End of section 8